The games will begin in a few days' time. The first target, Buffy, you've all seen. The second, Faith, a little more elusive. But they will both be together and ready for the killing, and that is a money-back guarantee. Ladies, gentlemen, spiny-headed-looking creatures, welcome to Slayer Fest 98. Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 3, Episode 5, entitled Homecoming. So, um, this episode is the one where uh, Cordelia gets mistaken for Faith, and Mr. Trick has designed this whole campaign where like a whole bunch of different creatures that want to hunt the slayers have like have paid him money or something i think i think they've all paid to be part of a competition to hunt down faith and buffy and whoever kills gets the money i think it's like a pool um and so the episode starts basically with um, the idea of competition. Or not really starts with it, but the idea of competition. So there's these this collection of creatures that is hunting Buffy and competing with each other while hunting Buffy and Faith. And um, Slayer Fest 98. <laughs> and then there's Buffy and Cordelia fighting against each other to be homecoming queen. So that's like the general plot that is going on in this episode. This is also, um, just so you know, this is not a spoiler-free podcast. If this is your first time listening for some reason, I might refer to things that happen years in the future. Um, also, I didn't mention, I, um, in case this is the first time that you're listening to my podcast, I review, recap, recount the events of every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date, which means that on November 3rd, 1998, exactly 20 years ago today, is when this episode first aired. So let's get into my notes. Um, The scene, or the episode opens with uh, Buffy, Xander, Willow, Oz, and Cordelia sitting at the bronze talking about um, the homecoming dance. And they're like, hey, you know, this is our last homecoming dance since we're seniors now. Like, maybe we should get a limo. They're all sort of, it's mostly just like Willow and Xander pushing for it to be like, you know, a special thing, probably because for the first time in their nerdy little lives, they actually both have significant others. Um, So they're thinking, hey, what if we all pull pool our money together to get a limo? And Buffy's like, well, I mean, that's sure. That sounds like a great idea, I guess, um, if I go. And Willow just s- starts to ask, what did, I mean, why would you not want to go unless you don't have a day? And then Scott walks up and she's like, a day or two to think about it. Um, and it becomes apparent in that moment that Scott has not asked her to the homecoming dance, which, and you know, Obviously, there are problematic aspects to Buffy, but like, 
why is this a plot setup? Like if Buffy wanted to go to the dance with Scott and they've also mentioned several times that Buffy already has tickets. Like why would she have bought tickets to the homecoming dance? Like if she is like empowered woman enough to buy her own goddamn tickets, why didn't she ask Scott? Like, why is it being set up that he has to ask her? I don't know. Like, this is the thing that when you're analyzing episodes of Buffy, like the thing that falls apart about Buffy is the plot structure. Like, you can always pick apart. There are always things in every single episode that's like, well... That doesn't make any sense. And of course, I do like to point those things out, but I don't like to dwell on them because it's just not that interesting. Um, so they just, you know, they had to set it up that he didn't ask her. And then, um, so he walks up and, you know, Willow changes course so that he doesn't overhear the fact that she was about to point out that maybe Buffy doesn't have a date. And, um... Cordelia just says what did Scott not ask you to did not ask or something like that and uh so everybody's like oh god awkward moment awkward moment and Scott recovers by saying oh I just I didn't think I thought you would think it was cheesy but I mean if you want to go then then sure and she's like well if you want to go and like if they're being real wishy-washy and um, because Scott is about to break up with her in about five minutes, the next day he's going to break up with her, I have to interpret this as he didn't ask her because he, you know, was basically thinking that their relationship was sort of petering out. And I can understand that and I see where they're coming from with that, but I think they didn't really execute it very well because up until this point, we've just sort of seen casually that Buffy is dating Scott. Buffy likes Scott. She has kissed Scott. I mean, they're all just like sort of cute little, you know, right before Buffy runs away to go visit Angel, she gives him a sweet little kiss, kind of kisses. You know, they're not, they're definitely not focusing on a love story between Scott and Buffy, but we still have not seen any evidence that he is dissatisfied with the relationship. You know, there hasn't, normally the show does a better job of like dropping little hints here and there that something like this is coming, but with Scott, you know, there's no hints. Like, we just aren't even meant to view him as an important character. So, you know, we don't see any behind the scenes. We don't see any foreshadowing coming from him. It's just we're not even supposed to really be thinking about him. But I do think about Scott because he seems like a very sweet guy. And I think they could have been a little bit, they could have given him a little bit more weight, a little bit more time. Um a little bit more character development in general. I mean, like, it was just the last episode two weeks ago. I mean, it has been two weeks since there wasn't an episode last week, but it was just the very last episode that he lost his two best friends. They both died in the last episode. And like, you know, we don't see him grieving. You know, we just don't see any character development in Scott. And I think that is a missed opportunity. So, 
R.I.P. Scott. I mean, he's not dead, but now that he's breaking up with Buffy. Anyway, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, so hold on. Let me pause and take a drink of coffee, and uh, we'll, we'll go back. Okay, so they're talking about getting a limo, and as soon as Scott shows up and sort of, like, asks her, um, I'll go if you want to go, I'll go if you want to go, I don't know what you want to do, you know, the, the vulture conversation from Jungle Book. And Oz says, um, the judges will take that as a yes. <laughs> Cause you know, all this happens right in front of all of them at the bronze right after that conversation. Um, Scott's just sort of like, do you want me to get you a drink? You know, like I think at this point, maybe he hadn't decided he was going to break up with her for sure. Um, and this might've been her last chance because again, I am just reading a lot into it. Like the, episode is not really giving you a lot of context to think these things but maybe that is what we're supposed to think because you know he asks her if she wants a drink and you know since he's just shown up like they were sitting around talking until he got there and as soon as he shows up and asks her to the dance half-heartedly um, upon pressure she's like you know what actually I'm tired I think I'm gonna go home and then she gives him a kiss and she immediately goes to Angel or she immediately goes to get him some blood, I guess, at the butcher. Because the next scene, we just see her showing up at Angel's house. At Angel's mansion. He's pacing around and grunting and moaning. And still, he's still very animalistic at this point. I mean, this is only... We saw him drop out of the sky two episodes ago. In the last episode, he was just a complete feral beast. And then by the end, he recognized who Buffy was. So this is the first time we're seeing him since that. Um, he, and she comes, she's bringing him blood. So he's obviously not really able to take care of himself. Although he did have blood on his mouth in the last episode, which was never explained. So one has to assume that he's been like killing animals or something. Or maybe he has killed a human. Like they never deal with that. And I think I talked about that in the last episode, but... So anyway, Buffy shows up with blood. He's all grunty. And I wrote it down. I wrote down, first thing I wrote was, Angel has found a shirt. So, I mean, I think we can probably safely assume that there are some clothes in the mansion from when Angel lived there before. Because this was his place before he got killed by Buffy. So, you know, at this point he has found pants. In the last episode he found pants. In this episode he's found a shirt. So we can see that his his psychological progress is coming along nicely. <laughs> he still hasn't figured out how to button the shirt, but he has a shirt on. Um, Buffy brings him blood. And I wrote down because he says three words the whole time she's there. Three. First of all, he doesn't even say hi to her. He doesn't even say Buffy like he does. Nothing. He doesn't like, he just sort of stares at her and he's sort of twitchy and he's just very, you know, he's been in a hell dimension. Somebody did the, on um, the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, which I like to think of as a sister podcast, although they don't know I exist, but I still like to think of them as my sister po Buffy podcast. But anyway, on their podcast, they mentioned one of their um, listeners had written in because there was the whole thing at the beginning of the season when Buffy went to a hell dimension for like a second. And there was like an equation of 
like a hundred years in a hell dimension is a day on earth or something like that. And somebody did the math of how long Angel has been gone. And, you know, if time goes the same way in the hell dimension that he was in as the hell dimension that Buffy was in earlier this season, then they calculated it as like a thousand years or something. Like, because he has been gone for about five months. And, you know, so I almost want to do that math right now. I want to do that math myself. So hold on. Let me do it. Okay. That is crazy, actually. Maybe I did the math wrong, but like, basically he's been in hell for about 150 days, give or take a few. Because he came back October 19th and he was killed on May 13th. Uh, so that means that he was in a hell dimension for 15,000 years. Um, that's not the same math that the listener came up with that wrote into Buffering the Vampire Slayer. But that's insanity. Like, I don't... I don't think I like that explanation of taking that literally. I would like to think, for my own personal headcanon, I would like to think that the particular hell dimension that he was in was like a year per day, maybe? So maybe he's been in a hell dimension for 15 years because like you don't come back from 15,000 years, okay? You don't. So let's say that this particular hell dimension is a year per day. And it was like, well, no, that'd be, that'd be 150. 150 years. Did I say that? Is that what I said? Or did I say 15? I think I said 15. Still, 150 years. And then they were trying to do the math, like how old would that make Angel? You know, like he was already 242 or something when he died. Um... <laughs> So then if it was like a thousand, you know, anyway, that's insanity. That's another one of those things that if you think too hard about it, it just falls apart because I cannot believe that anybody would come back from 15,000 years of hell torture. Like he would not be the same at all because he would have spent exponentially more time being tortured than he ever was being human, being vampire, being in sold vampire, being not sold vampire. There's no way he would have any memory of a life before. And even if he did, it would be a blip to him. It would be insignificant. He would be feral hell creature. Like you, he's not some like amazing thing for coming back from that. If because you just couldn't. I don't believe it. Okay, anyway. I'm, I'm harping on this a little too much, so let's just move on. But I wrote down how many words he said while Buffy was there. Basically, she came, she gave him blood. She sort of started explaining things that are going on in her life now. And you, you don't really get... You get a little bit of an indicator that he is processing what she's saying to some extent, but not fully. And she basically says to him... I haven't told Giles and everybody that you're here and I'm not going to because they wouldn't understand. I'm going to continue to help you. Um, and 
then she just says, also, I'm seeing someone and he makes me happy. And you're like, really? He does? Are you sure about that, Buffy? Um, because he is nice, normal, stable guy and I need somebody that I can count on. Um, which is when they immediately cut to the next day, right after she says, I need someone I can count on right now. They immediately cut to the next day where he's breaking up with her. But the three words that Angel says while she's there. First is, I think she sort of asks him how he is when she first gets there. And he says, it hurts less. Okay, so he actually says four words while she's there. Because he says, it hurts less. And then when she mentions Giles, when she says, I haven't told Giles and everybody that you're there. You sort of see him in soft focus in the foreground. And he's facing away from her as she's saying this. And as soon as she says Giles's name, um, Angel sort of, he goes, Giles, like as if he doesn't, he hadn't thought about him. He doesn't remember who he is, but he puts it together. And I think what he's remembering in that moment and David Boreanaz at this point, I think he's become a much better actor since 1998. But at this point, his acting is just not great most of the time and in this whole thing when he's pretending to be feral and like upset and like he's moaning and shivering and twitching and it's just sort of bad like it doesn't make me feel bad for him it makes me want to laugh and I'm okay with you know like camp I'm okay with that but it's kind of bad so no shade to David Boreanaz because he seems like a genuinely good dude in general and I have no shade to throw against him but kind of bad anyway so the only other thing he says is Giles and you know Buffy doesn't really react to that but I think what we're seeing here is him suddenly remembering who Giles is and also remembering how much he tortured him so that was the one moment of like nuance in his perf acting performance in the in this episode but it was still kind of badly executed but anyway um so i think that's interesting he says four whole words the whole time buffy's there he doesn't say goodbye he doesn't say hello he doesn't acknowledge that he even knows who she is he sort of does this weird thing when i don't know what this means Maybe it means nothing. When Buffy is mentioning that she's seeing someone now, he sort of whips around like as if he's angry and he starts to like kind of have an angry response to her seeing someone else. But then he reaches out and like adjusts her collar on her jacket. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, was he just like about to hit her or something? And then he recovered by touching the collar of her jacket i i don't if you guys have any insight into that let me know um mixtress radio at gmail is where you can send me letters um yeah i don't know what the fuck that was about but anyway immediately cut to the next day when scott is breaking up with her and he he his excuse is that you know before we started going out you seem like a like a force of nature, you know, so full of life. And now you just seem distracted all the time. And I think that's pretty legit. Uh, I buy that completely as an excuse for breaking up with Buffy. Cause if you're a normal human dude dating Buffy, if you're not in on the secret, 
you're gonna just feel pretty neglected. <laughs> like, you know, she... And I, this episode is really about Buffy missing being Buffy. Like, she has just been a vampire slayer for the most part ever since she got called. So she wants to be Buffy sometimes and her trying to date a normal dude and not let him in on the secret which is interesting because they let other people in on the secret pretty quickly so they really don't want you to think that Scott is at all important because you know they've been quote-unquote dating for like three four episodes now Anybody else, if they were considered to be at all important, he they would have been in on. They don't keep her Slayer secret very well in this show. So, um, yeah, anyway. So Buffy attempting to date Scott in the first place is sort of her attempting to be a normal girl in some way. And we all knew that was never going to work. And it makes sense that he should break up with her because she seems distracted all the time that all tracks for me but again they just didn't give him enough character development I don't think anyway I've been talking about Scott too much whenever he's pretty much gone now because as soon as he walks away from Buffy that's basically it um I don't know if we'll ever see him again he gets mentioned in an episode like years down the road like in season six or something he get, or maybe in a couple other episodes he probably gets mentioned for like a second but, or maybe not even, I don't know. I like, I can think of one instance when he gets mentioned again and it's like season six or seven and that's it. Somebody like brings up that he's gay now or something. Um, I think that's season seven. Anyway, doesn't matter. He's gone. He breaks up with Buffy. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, break to someone is watching Buffy so like somebody has surveillance on her or something because um, as Scott is like walking away from her whenever he breaks up with her there's like a surveillance camera on her um, da, da, da. we um oh and my next note is we finally meet the mayor so um this is our first sighting of the mayor pretty exciting we find out that he is possibly a germaphobe like he's he's got moist towelettes he smells the paper that his um employer employee gives him um he and asks you know like gives him a lecture on hand washing um and he also like drops a little nugget that i think is probably intentional He's the last thing that he says to his employee before we go out of the scene is you have all my faith and um, pretty soon faith is going to be his, you know, right hand woman. And that is sad because um, the next scene is um, like a conversation between Cordelia, Cordelia, Oz, and Willow. It's picture day. Um, and somebody needs to go tell Buffy. Oz points out, like, I don't think she was here the day they announced it. You know, somebody needs to tell her so she doesn't mix, miss picture day. She's in the library with Faith training or something. 
So Cordelia is supposed to go tell Buffy about picture day, but she gets distracted because she's campaigning for homecoming queen and she sees somebody that she needs to like campaign to or whatever. So while she's on the way to the library, she gets distracted. Buffy and Faith. I love this scene between Buffy and Faith a lot um, because they're sort of, you know, they're just training together and they're just being a couple of slayers that are friends and they're talking about how Scott just dumped Buffy and Faith um, sort of, she she's actually being supportive, you know? I don't know. I thought this was a supportive friendship the beginnings of a supportive friendship between two slayers and another thing just like the Scott narrative but way worse because I would much rather see Buffy and Faith really build a friendship and become you know slayer partners like I I would love to see more of that we don't get very much of that at all these moments are very fleeting but this moment is a good one because they're training together uh, Faith looks super hot in some cut-off jeans and a, and a tank top and her signature makeup look, which I drew a little diagram of her makeup look <laughs> in my notes because I want to try to... I want that to be my everyday look. And I think, like, I don't look like Faith or anything, but I think she has hooded eyes like I do, so I could possibly pull off a similar makeup look. Basically, she always wears a really dark berry red lipstick and she has um basically it's just a thick black eyeliner but it's slightly thicker underneath her eyes which I've never tried that but it might work with me because I definitely have a lot more space under my eyes than I do above my eyes <laughs> anyway you guys don't care about that but I did draw a little diagram of, of Faith's makeup because it's just they stay pretty consistent with her makeup and it's, you know, it's very like damaged 90s girl look and I'm into that. So, you know, it's very goth adjacent. Um, but anyway, Faith's everyday makeup look, number one in my book. Okay. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Oh, and the going back to when Faith is kind of being supportive. So she's like, okay, well, obviously we're all supposed to get a limo together. You already have your tickets to the dance and Faith and Scott sucks. So she's like, why don't we just go together? You already have your ticks. Why don't we just go together? Um, and then she says something like, we'll find a couple of guys. We'll use them and discard them. That's always fun. And Buffy's sort of like, she's like, well, not yeah, sure. Let's go to the dance together. Um, not the using guys thing though. Maybe, probably not. And it's just a cute little moment where like, you know, Faith is, you know, she's suggesting something that, you know, Buffy would never be into. She would never be into like using guys or whatever, but, um, it's still just like, a, I don't know. I just love it. I, I would love to have seen that episode too. If they actually did go to the dance together, all of them with Faith. I think that would have been fun. You know, like, obviously, like, you know, shows need conflicts and all that shit, but I think it would be fun every once in a while to actually just see something be fun and go well. Like, is that not a thing? Like, one episode of TV where, like, there's no conflicts? That would have been cool. But anyway, we don't get that, but that's a cute little moment between Faith and Buffy. Soak them in, because we don't get very many. Um... Then the next scene is Buffy is um, 
she still has, I mean, they're doing a pretty good job with like showing that Buffy has to do all these things to be able to be accepted back into school. You know, within the last few episodes since she's been back at school, we've seen her have to take makeup tests. At this point, she is, we've seen her have to go to a counselor, which happened in the last episode. You know, we're seeing this play out in real time and it's, you know, they're giving Buffy the character development, which I guess they should. If they're going to give it to anyone, it's going to be Buffy. Um, so they're showing her talking to a teacher because she has to get a letter of recommendation. And these are all things that Snyder said she had to do. She had to go to a school counselor. She had to take makeup tests. She had to get a letter of recommendation from somebody who isn't an English librarian. So she's talking to who she thinks of as her favorite teacher from last year. Um, and she's, um, asking her for a recommendation and the teacher doesn't even remember her. And so Buffy's feeling, and then at this point, and then right after that, she finds out that she missed picture day because Cordelia got distracted and didn't tell her. So this is like the next day, I guess. So she's feeling really invisible. Like she has to be a slayer all the time. She just got broken up with her favorite teacher doesn't remember her. She didn't she's not she doesn't even have she's not even have a picture in the yearbook like she wants to make some kind of impact so that she can say that she was at high school at some point point. and this is a theme that comes up every once in a while in Buffy you know every once in a while she just wants to be a regular girl and she doesn't get to do that because she's a slayer so even though this is a repeated theme and sometimes the way that they decide to deal with it in the show is kind of ham-fisted but I like that they do that and I think that's important with hero narratives I think it's important to every once in a while show the hero questioning why they're doing this regretting that they don't have a normal life I think that's a very real and relatable thing and I'm glad they do that with Buffy in this episode that's basically the point is that so at that moment when she feels really invisible she decides she's also going to run for homecoming queen um my next note was mr trick has a sexy voice so that's who you heard in the intro i guess i probably should have mentioned that um that is not the quote of the episode but i just wanted to put it in there because just the musicality of mr trick's voice is just it's beautiful <laughs> Like, I could listen to him talk all day. I want him to do ASMR videos. Like, um, so my next note is, is the quote that you heard at the very beginning, which was, ladies, gentlemen, spiny-headed looking creatures, welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I want a t-shirt that says Slayer Fest 98 on it. If anybody, y'all can make that happen for me, or if you know that it exists, let me know. Um... My next note is, no, because the next thing that happens is a plot development that's going to play, you know, is going to run its course in the next few episodes and it's very upsetting and I hate it a lot. And that is Willow and Xander. So they just, they've decided to meet up at Willow's house because Willow is trying on different outfits and she wants Xander's boy opinion, I guess, on which one looks best. 
which I kind of call bullshit on that because that's the kind of thing that you would ask Buffy to do. I mean, maybe the reason is because Buffy and Willow really haven't fully reconnected since she came back and Buffy is probably spending, I mean, she's spending a lot of time unbeknownst to all of them hanging out with stupid Angel again, but she's probably also spending a lot of time with Faith. I mean, one would expect that she is doing that. Um, but I mean, I guess I can understand why she's asking Xander's opinion, but normally this would be something that she would talk to Buffy about, I would think, because it's so much more fun to try on outfits and get a girl's opinion than a guy. Guys are useless when it comes to that. <laughs> There's like, yeah, that's hot. Meh. So and I'm making an awful generalization there, but the way that guys are socialized in our society, most of the time, they're useless when it comes to outfit opinions. They really just, like, don't see the detail because they haven't been taught to see that kind of detail. It's not because they're incapable of seeing it. Although, biologically, it I think it has been proven that women have better color acuity than men. So a lot of the time, like, dudes really can't tell that something is, like, green versus black or something. You know, they just have no clue. Um, anyway. So Willow's trying on different outfits in her bedroom, and she has, like, one of those screens. Which, that is really cheesy. She has one of those, like, little dressing screen things. Which, you know that makes sense to me like if she's having Xander over in her bedroom maybe she put what is normally just a decorative element in her bedroom up to use as an actual dressing screen but there's also a light back there like a really brilliant light so that you can see her silhouette as she's changing so god anyway so she's trying on different outfits and like pretty much every outfit she tries on is just sort of like regular everyday willow outfit it's not really fancy so it seemed odd to me and then the last one that she puts on actually looks like a formal dressy dress that you would wear to a dance it actually looks a little too grown up for her you know it's just like black velvet with a boat neck it just it kind of doesn't look very willow it looks way too formal for, you know, a senior homecoming dance. I mean, this isn't prom, and if it was prom, it would still look too mature for prom, even. But anyway, critiques of her dress aside, as soon as she comes out in that final dress, that the one that's actually kind of formal looking, Xander is, like, trying on a tux at the same time for some, for whatever fucking reason. I don't know because it's the only tux he has, so he doesn't really need Willow's opinion on it because he doesn't have another option. That's what he's wearing. So I don't know why he's trying that on for her. But in any case, he has just finished composing his outfit as soon as Willow comes out from behind the screen in the formal dress. And as soon as they look at each other in the formal wear, it's like they're seeing each other for the first time. And then they kiss. And okay, up until that point when they have they have kissed and they've been like what the fuck are we doing no that's bad that's bad and they're both very upset that they just did that i can buy all of that because willow has been into xander since forever she's always been into him so okay here's i mean now that i'm thinking about it something that i don't buy 
is that she would be acting any different because she's always been into him. So she's pretty good at sort of low key being into him. Like she shouldn't be looking at him as if she's seeing him for the first time. Cause she's always been into him. But I can buy that suddenly for whatever reason, Xander is seeing her as a fully grown human woman instead of just Willow. I can understand that and I can even possibly understand the like kiss moment and the oh shit what the fuck was that but the fact that this storyline continues is what I call bullshit on so I don't want to harp on it too much now because we're gonna have to talk about it a lot in the next few episodes like I'm looking ahead just to sort of console myself a little bit. It actually doesn't go on too long. Um, there's probably some aspects of it happening in the next episode. And then the episode after that on November 17th. So just two weeks from today is when Oz and Cordelia find out about them. So that's when we're really going to have, and that's when it stops forever. So luckily we only have three episodes of this nonsense as being like a subplot happening on Buffy, but it is nonsense. Like no one likes it. It's not supposed to be happening because Cordelia doesn't deserve this. Oz definitely doesn't deserve this. It's just such a shitty thing to see characters that we're supposed to think are good. I mean, they both have their problems and Xander is definitely not good most of the time, but Okay, I'm just going to save that conversation. So this is just when it starts and when we have to actually have this annoying conversation is two weeks from today. So, okay, let's move on. Oh, and I do need to note my object of the episode is in this scene. And I think it's there just to sort of give you a background undercurrent of telling you that this whole situation is wrong. And that is... A giant stuffed snake is in Willow's bedroom and it's sort of draped across her headboard. <laughs> um, I find that funny because that's obviously intentional that like, you know, the sinful snake in the background. And also, you know, this supports my theory that Willow is Slytherin as well, because who else would have a stuffed snake in their bedroom? You know what I'm saying? Just a Slytherin. That's it. Um, and it is my object of the episode because it's cute. I love the element of like a creature that's kind of scary being stuffed. I mean, it's a plushy snake. So that is my featured object of the episode. I always like to pick something that I pluck, that I could pluck out of the episode and have for myself. And that is it. Um, let's see. What do we have next? Um, the next day, Buffy is in the library and she's got like this whole chart of everyone that's running for homecoming queen and their strengths and weaknesses and she's handing out assignments like willow create a database i want to know who's for us who's against us and who's on the fence and then she you know gives out assignments to oz and xander as well and then cordelia walks in and buffy's like oh this is kind of awkward um so there's no reason why we can't all be friends during this campaign time blah 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 and Cordelia's like, uh, apparently all the assignments that Buffy has just given that everybody 
in helping her with her homecoming campaign, Cordelia's already done. She's been running already. Um, and so, like, all of them one by one sort of stand behind Cordelia because they already were going to help her. And, you know, like, Xander and Willow are both feeling super guilty about, you know, betraying Cordelia by kissing each other. So they're helping her. And Oz is just sort of like, uh, I'm gonna go where Willow goes. So, so all of them basically turn on her in that moment because they're gonna help Cordelia. And Cordelia is just sort of like, I agree, we should all be very civil or something like that during this time. She doesn't say anything about being civil, but you know, I agree, we can all be friends during this, you know, and she sort of takes them away. And it's important to remember that before Buffy was called as a slayer, you know, and she mentions that in this episode, you know, like, I was homecoming queen at my old school. I was fiesta queen, you know, like, the yearbook was a story of me. And then this yearbook, I'm not even going to be in it. So she, it's important to remember that before Buffy was called as a slayer, she was a Cordelia. And that's, you know, we're reminded of that often. Like, she was Cordelia before she became a slayer. So this is her trying to go back to that. Um, then there's this cute moment where Giles just sort of, Giles is barely in this episode. He just sort of says to Buffy, you know, it seems like you're taking this pretty seriously. And, you know, as long as there's still fun in the mix here. And Buffy's like, sure, we're having fun. And then she crushes a glass with her, with her hand. <laughs> That's just a nice little moment. Um, then there's a montage of Willow and Cordelia, or Buffy and Cordelia both campaigning. They're just kind of like, you know, flirting with people, handing them cupcakes, and like putting up campaign posters, and it's just a montage of them campaigning for Homecoming Queen. Um, at the same time, you see a couple of little, little cuts of the, the people that are training to kill Buffy, because they're, they're waiting until Homecoming night to um, kill Buffy because their plan is since they've been surveilled the whole plan is that they hijack the limo I guess um, which we don't really know that yet but we do know that they are planning to attack on homecoming night I think I think we know that whatever doesn't really matter my next note is Willow's orange fuzzy sweater so that was my possible object of the episode until I decided I wanted her stuffed snake instead. It's just a really cute willow sweater. Like, it wouldn't look good on me. The fuzzy sweaters are only for very petite women. <laughs> um, but I do really like her outfit. It's very willow. It's fuzzy orange sweater, yellow tights, and like a willow skirt. I don't know what else to call it. It's a willow skirt. This is basically her outfit composition. She always has bright colored fuzzy sweater and skirt and tights that match. And the skirt has both the orange and the yellow of the tights in the skirt. It's, I don't know what the pattern is, but it's just like a yellow skirt with orange something on it. Cute willow outfit. Um, Cordelia and Buffy are yelling at each other in the hallway. Cordelia says she knows how to do a Vulcan death grip, but then she just flicks some kid, some nerdy kid in the forehead a few times and like, ah, uh, that's not a Vulcan death grip. Nope. 
Um, and then Cordelia and Buffy just have like a big fight. Um, because they've both been kind of fighting dirty with this whole homecoming thing. Um, and I think Xander and Willow come up and sort of break them up as they're yelling at each other. Cordelia calls Buffy a crazy freak and Buffy calls Cordelia a vapid whore. Um, and then the next scene, <laughs> my next note is, why did Xander and Willow go back to the bedroom? So apparently after they broke up the fight, they decided to meet at Willow's to talk about what they're going to do to like get them to make up because it's really bad how bad they're fighting, I guess. But like, why would they decide to talk about it in Willow's bedroom at the scene of the crime? They're sitting on Willow's bed, which means that snake plushie is in the background because it's draped across her headboard. So the entire background of the scene is that snake on the headboard. Like they're really letting you know <laughs> this is a sinister, a sinister snaky slithering activity that they are doing. So they're talking about like, what are they going to do about Buffy and Cordelia fighting? But they're also sort of talking about what they're going to do about the two of them. And I don't think they kiss. I don't think they kiss again in this scene. They just sort of like are looking at each other longingly and they sort of hold hands a little bit. Maybe they do. I don't think they kiss in the scene, but anyway, they probably almost kiss in that scene. And so, you know, it's still sort of in the gray area of like, this is inappropriate, but you know, as long as they like curb their impulses, I mean, I think, like, they're not totally evil yet. Anyway, um, so basically we go to the next scene and it's Buffy getting in the limo. Like, the whole plan was going to be that the limo was going to pick Faith up, then Buffy, then everybody else. And that was overheard by the Slayer Fest 98 people. Apparently, Willow and Xander decided to leave them a note saying, um... They, they changed the plan. So they're only picking up, the limo is now only picking up Cordelia and Buffy and they've left them a note saying, hey, you guys, your friendship is more important than all of this fighting. So you're alone in the limo. The limo is not cheap. Work it out. And um, so they're alone. The driver, I guess, is not the actual limo driver. I don't know how this all worked out, but basically the bad dudes that are hunting Buffy and Faith, they, they haven't seen Faith. They don't have any surveillance on Faith. So they don't know that Cordelia isn't Faith. So they, you know, they assume that the plan was still the plan that they surveilled earlier. So they think Faith is Cordelia or Cordelia is Faith. And, um, whoever's driving the limo takes them somewhere weird um, so the plan for them all along was to, as soon as Buffy was picked up, they were going to take them away. So no one else is suspecting anything because they had already decided they're not going to be part of the limo situation. And the driver takes them out to like the middle of the woods or something. And Buffy, I think normally would have noticed that this was happening, that she, that they weren't being taken to the school because they're obviously being taken somewhere farther away from the school, but she's so distracted by arguing with Cordelia that she doesn't notice. And then 
like suddenly they stop they hear the driver like run away I don't know what that's about but I don't know maybe the driver was one of the guys that's like planning to kill them I mean surely he would be but I didn't recognize them because I don't know generic white dudes I really do think they all look the same so I get a lot of the the people that are hunting Buffy and Cordelia in this episode some of them I get confused like there's the demon guy that has like the stegosaurus head he's very recognizable there's the two vampires they're recognizable because they're like country vampires which is odd um and then there's also some uh, there's like a dude that's setting bear traps in the woods and there's these two german guys and i can't tell the difference between the german guys and the bear guy so just so you know if i say any plot points about them if i call them the germans when it's actually the bear trap guy i don't really i can't tell them apart i just can't i'm sorry (laughs) anyway um let's see limo is not cheap working out buffy's distracted okay we're caught up then okay so as soon as they get out of the car and they're in the middle of the woods there's like a tv and a vcr what is it hooked up to i don't know they're in the middle of the woods maybe the driver as soon as he stopped the limo plugged it into like the lighter thing or something i don't know but anyway there's a tv and a vcr and a little sign that says press play and when they press play it is mr trick welcoming welcoming them to slayer fest 98 he basically tells them that they're being hunted and he says have a nice death it's just like a little 30 second video and um it just shuts off and like the tv explodes maybe it's because somebody's shooting at them or something i don't think it just spontaneously explodes but whatever anyway they start running um that's when we realize that cordelia has been mistaken for faith and she's sort of you know doing her cordelia thing as they're running through the woods and she's like why don't we just explain to them that i'm not faith like it's all a big misunderstanding and then there's this great moment basically the rest of the episode with buffy and faith buffy and cordelia fighting together trying to escape slayer fest 98 is kind of cool because they work together really well like even at this point when they're still fighting and cordelia is whining that like we just need to explain to them that i'm not the slayer even in that moment like a half second later she looks down and realizes that there's a little bear trap and she um points it out to buffy just in time so that she doesn't get her leg caught in it you know so she has pretty quick reflexes and then it was just a really good little moment because she warns buffy about the bear trap and then buffy turns around and sees somebody about to shoot at cordelia and so she warns her to get down and it all just happens in like a little like two second interlude and that's pretty much the beginning of them running away i mean they had just started to run away through the forest and pretty quickly they get their shit together and they fight pretty well together um buffy gets the upper hand on the guy that has the gun um which i think is also the bear trap guy um she he gets caught in one of his own traps she steals his gun she points it at him and makes him tell her how many people are involved in this whole thing so from the very beginning of this she knows that there's the two vampires there's the spiny-headed guy and there's um 
a couple of Germans and him, I think is what it all is. So she knows from the beginning exactly who, how many people she needs to take out and what they are, because this guy just tells her as soon as he points a gun at her, he tells her everything. Um, they end up at like a cabin in the woods. Um, and this is where we get some actual like Cordelia and Buffy fighting it out, relating to each other conversations. Um, Buffy tells Cordelia to find a weapon. She finds a spatula. She also finds a phone. So Buffy is able to call Giles and leave him a message. There's this funny little moment. Um, I, I wrote, it's Giles's preview of band candy. He's so whimsical. So he just kind of like pops up during the dance and Xander and Willow are both just looking really like awful. <laughs> They're like, you know, intentionally keeping space between them. They look really guilty and depressed. Um, Faith even comes up and is like, what are you two so moby about? Um, Faith, oh my God, just a little side note. Faith looks so cute at the homecoming dance. She's got her hair in an updo. She's got her signature Faith makeup, only the lipstick's a little darker this time. You know, it's her going out lipstick. Um, she is wearing like a velvet strapless dress that looks really good on her. It's, you know, edgy, but also understated. I don't know. It's just, she looks great. Um, she's wearing like a it might be velvet, it might be leather, choker. Um, she just looks good. And we don't really see much of her, but she basically just comes up like, why are you guys so mopey? And then walks off. Uh, we also get a really awesome moment with her being confrontational to Scott. He's there with another date. I mean, it's been like two days. I don't know, maybe it's been more like a week. But he's there with some other date and she breaks up them dancing and says to Scott... Um, I just wanted to let you know, the doctor says the itching and the burning is, is going to clear up. Just keep using the cream. And then she just sort of like wanders off. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. So she's, you know, she's doing, I mean, in a very faith way, but she's standing up for Buffy, you know? I don't know. So sweet. Faith is sweet. Okay. Okay. Back to Giles. So Giles just sort of comes up while Xander and Willow are being mopey and he says something like we've got to find Buffy something terrible has happened and um and then he's like sorry I just tried uh, I just no everything's fine I just want to give you guys a scare and it's just uh, and then he's like "Ooh, finger sandwiches and then he just flitters off it's just such a sweet little like cheesy whimsical Giles moment that up until this point, we haven't seen a whole lot of those. Luckily, they lean into that and we get to see more of that as the series progresses. But I just love a little whimsical Giles moment. So that was a good one. He's distracted by finger sandwiches and flitters off. So um, good moment. Uh, again, like Giles is really basically not in this. So he decides to go back to the library um, because, you know, this... I mean, and the whole time, Willow and Xander look so morose, and they're not even really saying anything in response to Giles. Giles is just like, okay, I'm going to go back to the library until the coronation. Like, uh, see you guys later. And they're just, like, not even looking at him. They're so morose. Like, it's really, they're really laying it on thick. 
And you would think that Giles or Buffy or somebody, like the only one that acknowledges how mopey they are, is Faith. Um, But anyway, so Giles goes back to the library. You get a little glimpse of the minty mug. He's drinking tea and he gets the message that Buffy was able to leave for him from (laughs) somehow that cabin still has phone service. And she left them a message saying, you know, we're in a cabin at blah, blah, blah woods. And um, then you cut away and we don't know, like, obviously Giles is going to be helping them now, but we don't know what's going to happen with that yet. Um, My next note is the importance of memorizing phone numbers. I just wanted to give a little bit of a PSA for you guys right now. In this day and age of all your phone numbers in your life being stored in your phone, it is easy to not have phone numbers memorized. But if you don't already, I think it is very important. Do it today. Like, I'm not like a person that thinks you should live in fear at all, but there could be an instance in your life when you don't have your phone and you need to contact someone. So at the very least, you know, write it down somewhere and have it in your purse or in your wallet or whatever. And if you, if you don't want to, if you don't think you can memorize it, but I, you know, I really think memorizing at the very least your mom's phone number and your significant other's phone number and like a best friend two or three phone numbers just start with that make sure you at least know those three phone numbers and i don't know like since i'm 36 years old like i am from an era of memorizing phone numbers i still okay nobody does this But I still, like, when I'm calling my mom or my Michael, I type in their phone number. I don't, like, go to my favorites list and call them from there. I actually just type in the number and call it. I don't think anybody... If you guys still do that, I would love to hear from you because I think we're a dying breed. (laughs) Like, I don't do that with all phone numbers. I mean, I have more than just those two numbers memorized, but not many. Anyway, PSA memorize at least your mom's phone number if you don't have I mean I just don't know like maybe people 10 years younger than me actually do have several phone numbers memorized but if you don't you really should okay okay end of PSA um then we get a nice speech from Buffy back at the cabin um about you know Cordelia just basically asks her like why do you care about this like this is my turf like I'm the person that cares about homecoming queen why would you care about it like she doesn't understand and buffy does this little speech where she's like look i wanted to know that i was there you know i wanted there to be proof that i was there at high school that i was chosen for something other than this you know she's like this is my life what we're doing right now this is my life and the whole time she's doing the speech she's got this rifle that she stole from the bear trap guy And my God, it is like she's holding it like she's sort of bracing on it like it's a cane. (laughs) I mean, not really, but like she's holding it in this way that you can clearly see that it is, it comes up to like 
her boobs, basically. That's how tall this gun is. Like, she is, like, five feet tall, and this gun is gigantic. Um, it's, it's just kind of comical. And also the length of her skirt, like, the homecoming skirt that she's wearing, dress, whatever, it's a very weird length. Like, it looks like it's supposed to be about knee length, but because she's so short, it comes down to, like, mid-calf on her. It's just a very strange length. I don't know. Maybe it's a a 1998 thing, but normally I'm all about 1998 fashion, but her dress is not great. But it is a nice contrast, because her dress is, like, it's kind of a corally red, but it's more red than coral. Um... And it's a great contrast to the outfit of the episode, which is Cordelia's emerald satin dress. She looks damn good in it. It's it's very 90s, but it's very timeless 90s. Like, I don't, why did people stop wearing satin? Satin is so pretty. <laughs> like, she looks damn good. So that's the outfit of the episode. Cordelia looks great in her homecoming dress. So, um, and then we get a nice moment where, like, at the end of Buffy's little speech of, like, wanting to be chosen for something, you know, other than being a slayer, like, she wants to be a part of the world sometimes, God damn it, she wants to have, like, one high school moment, and she'll come back to this theme, like, we'll hear this a lot, she just wants to have one high school girl moment, and she does get it at the end of the season, um, in an unexpected way, but, um, this isn't it. But anyway, after, at the end of her speech, she, um, she says, besides, and then she, you know, like cocks the gun. I look cute in a tiara. So that's just a nice little moment. Um, somebody blows up the cabin. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's one of the, are there two bear trap guys? Is it the Germans? I don't know who the fuck blows up the cannon, but somebody does. And um, at that point, the spiny-headed looking guy <laughs> that has like stegosaurus spines on his head, he's pretty cute. Um, if I had any talent with latex and makeup, I would be him for Halloween one year because, I don't know, it's a good look. Um, he has come into the cabin, he has found them, and they're fighting him. And, you know, Cordelia's hitting him with the spatula. And, you know, after a little fight scene, that's when somebody blows up the cabin. Buffy sees, like, the... It's not a grenade, but it's something that's going to blow up. She sees it. They jump out the window. They run away just in time. Um, and then the cabin blows up with the spiny-headed guy in it. So, R.I.P. spiny-headed dude. Um... At, at this point, they're both, Buffy and Cordelia, are both, like, super dirty, and now they've been, like, right next to an explosion, so they, like, have, you know, soot on them, soot and mud, and they're all mussed up and in their, you know, homecoming outfits. They're running away. When they get back, this is a nice moment, because when they start approaching the library, Buffy's just sort of talking tactics with Cordelia, and she's just sort of saying, okay... So we took out this guy and this guy. We still have to deal with, you know, we still have to deal with the two vampires, blah, blah, blah. I think that's all they have left is just the two vampires. And she's like, they're going to the library to get weapons. They're not even discussing like 
asking anyone for help. Buffy is not even saying, like, we need to talk to Giles or anything. She's just like, we need to get weapons. This is what we still, these are the ones that we still need to take out. This is who we've taken out so far. And Cordelia's in. Like, she's not even, like, thinking. Like, at this point, they're back at the school. They're back at the library. Like, uh, I mean, she could, like, abandon Buffy right now if she wanted to. But she's in. She's like, okay, well, we're being hunted. We're in this now. Let's do it. Like, she's in. And I just like that. I just think that's great. At this point, they're collaborating very well together. Um, somehow they still have the spatula. The the two vampires, they're like a husband and wife. We've actually seen the guy before. And I wouldn't know this if I didn't like read it in a book. I don't remember him. He's the same. We saw him in Bad Eggs with his brother. He's just like a country vampire. And he ran away. So that's how he got away in that episode. So he's back now. And now he's um, he's just gotten married. So he's with that chick. They're in the library when Buffy and Cordelia get there. Oh, they still haven't taken out the Germans. Yeah, I forgot about that. They still haven't taken out the Germans. So they still have the Germans and the two vampires to kill. Um, uh, they, when they get to the library, Giles is knocked out. So, hey, if you take a drink every time Giles gets knocked out, do so now. It's been, it's been a while since he's been truly knocked out. Oh, no, wait. He was knocked out in the last episode, but I don't know if you count that because he was trank gunned. So that's not really the same as getting knocked out, but kind of. So Giles knocked out again. Um, so that's why he hadn't been helping them because I guess we can assume that the Gorches showed up, the Gorch vampire couple showed up just as soon as he heard the phone message from Buffy about where she is. <coughs> So they're there. Buffy quickly dispatches the girl vampire with the spatula. <sighs> like, what spatula do you know that is wooden? And it didn't even look wooden. It was like rubber. And she like staked her in the solar plexus, which anytime like Spike or Angel gets stabbed in the solar plexus they don't die you have to hit the heart but it doesn't matter when it's a minor character anyway Buffy kills her real quick and somehow she gets knocked out too so her and Giles are both knocked out so it's just Cordelia versus the dude Gorch vampire guy Giles is sort of starting to come to when Cordelia oh my god this is the quote of the episode so the Gorch guy is like, you know, super upset because, you know, his wife was just killed. And he says, I'm gonna. And Cordelia's like, rip out my innards, play with my eyeballs, boil my brain and eat it for brunch. Listen up, needle brain. Buffy and I have taken out four of your cronies, not to mention your girlfriend. Wife, says the Gorch guy. <laughs> Whatever. The point is, I haven't even broken a sweat. See, in the end, Buffy's just the runner up. I'm the queen. You get me mad? What do you think I'm going to do to you? And she just sort of like takes a couple steps and just like looks him in the eye. And it's a pretty great bluff. I mean, like this is a pretty brave moment. Like Cordelia is always brave. You know, this isn't out of character for her at all. But I mean, if you think about it, like being just like a regular human that doesn't have any special powers 
to stand up to a vampire. It's just her and the vampire. Like, obviously, she's trying to, like, buy some time so Buffy can wake up for being knocked out. But still, this is a very brave moment. And that's why she gets quoted the episode. That's why she also gets most valuable player of the episode and outfit. Cordelia is the queen of this episode, for sure. So, and that's when the Gorch guy, um, runs away. He's just like, okay, I'm out of here. Cause he's totally scared of Cordelia, which I love at this point. You know, they, you know, all of them still think she's faith. They think she's a slayer. So that's part of it. But also Cordelia, pretty amazing, pretty badass. Also just, you know, because I've been, I've been kind of obsessed with makeup lately and I've been really paying attention to everybody's makeup. Um, and I also, as I've mentioned before, but just in case you don't know, I've renamed all of my lipsticks that I own after Buffy characters. Well, not all of them, but most of them, like the important ones have been renamed as Buffy characters. And I've done pretty well, like just instinctually picking the right colors for each character. Like my Cordelia lipstick, for example, is a dark brown, which because she has pretty dark skin is um a pretty great neutral on her a dark brown isn't like a neutral on cordelia and she's pretty much wearing the cordelia lipstick in this episode which is nice um so i don't know just thought i'd point that out after giles sort of wakes up and buffy wakes up and you know they think it's over at this point why do they think it's over Maybe the two German guys weren't mentioned. Maybe she thought they, I don't know what the fuck they think it's over at this point. And they're just sort of regrouping and deciding to go to go back to the dance. Um, and that's when they say some, somebody's like, I don't know this, like, don't mess with Cordelia. They're, I don't know. They're just talking the three of them and then they notice that there's tracking devices in the corsages. And that's when um, Buffy decides to get some wet toilet paper. I don't, I, anyway, th they just wrap it up really quickly and it's kind of not smooth, but basically Buffy just with the wet toilet paper and the tracking devices, she somehow gets the tracking devices attached to both of the Germans that are, that are hooked into the tracking devices. So they end up killing each other. So that happens, <laughs> I guess, whatever, took them out real quick. Um, and like, there's a guy that the whole time he's been like on a radio with the two German dudes, like telling them where to go because he's the one that can see the, where the tracking devices are on the map back at wherever he's stationed. I don't know. And so he's talking to them via radio and the tracking devices go dead. They like go offline as soon as the two Germans kill each other. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Why do the tracking devices go dead? I mean, they're just location. They're just like GPS type devices. Like they wouldn't go dead if someone's dead. Like they're not attached to their heartbeat or anything like that. So that was just a stupid little moment, but whatever. Again, don't look too far into these things because you'll be able to pick it apart very easily. Um, next scene is, oh, 
at some point during all of this, police officers took trick. And I I don't know how long it's been, but we now we're seeing the next scene is um, trick is hauled into the mayor's office and the mayor, you think it's like, he's sort of like giving a speech about unsavory elements in town and stuff like that. So it's sort of a metaphorical possible racist conversation, but then you find out that what he's talking about is taking out the slayers and trick. Mr. Trick is like, well, I might have that taken care of right now. And the mayor is impressed by his Slayer Fest 98. He's noticed him. He likes Mr. Trick and he wants him to work for him. And this is sort of done in a bad way, I think. I think most of the time we see the mayor as being very polite, as being like 90% coming off as um, an upstanding family political dude, you know, like very like 50s sitcom dude. Like he seems very wholesome most of the time. So I think it's out of character for him. He basically threatens Mr. Trick. He's like, um, he, he wants him to help him and, you know, work for him, but he doesn't ask. And I think that's out of character for the mayor. I think they might not have had this play out in the same way if Mr. Trick wasn't black. So I think this is possibly racist writing because he just basically threatens him. He's because Mr. Trick says at one point, what if I don't want to work for you? And the mayor just says, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Like, why wouldn't he just ask? Why wouldn't he just offer him money? I'm sure Mr. Trick would love to collaborate with, you know, he's a business vampire. He's the future. He's, I mean, he's definitely, there's a reason that the mayor would want to work for him because he's, he organizes shit. He has knowledge of tech. He gets shit done, you know? He's a business vampire. God damn it. He's an executive vampire. <laughs> Just like Eddie Izzard is an executive transvestite. Mr. Trick, executive vampire. So, I mean, like, why wouldn't he just, like, at least start out being nice about it? So that sucks. So Mr. Trick was basically intimidated into working for the mayor. Not that he wouldn't. I mean, I think he would have said yes. Like, why wouldn't he? Anyway. Anyway. Um, then Buffy, Giles, and Cordelia show up at the dance. Just as they're about to announce who the homecoming queen is. And of course, they look real haggard. <laughs> really dirty. Real disheveled. Um, and Xander's like, what did you guys do to each other? And Buffy says, long story. And Cordelia says, got hunted. And Buffy says, apparently not that long. I'll tell you one thing though. You don't want to mess with Cordelia. And Xander sort of gives a like really uncomfortable laugh at that point. Um, I just thought I'd point out that little long story got hunted. Apparently not that long because just two episodes ago, when we met Faith for the first time, Buffy said something about you know, they were talking about Oz being a werewolf and she says, long story. And Oz says, got bit. And she says, apparently not that long. So this is just sort of a cute little callback, I think, to that little exchange. Um, and then they are about to announce 
Homecoming Queen and Buffy and Cordelia are both like, you know, after everything that's happened, this kind of seems pretty damn important. So they both establish in that moment that they still care whether or not they get Homecoming Queen. Then it's announced that for the first time in Sunnydale history, there's a tie. Um, but it's the two uh, girls they were running against. It's, you know, the two other girls that were running for Homecoming Queen that won, not Buffy and Cordelia. And they just both like sort of look at each other, turn around and walk off. And that's the end of the episode. Just a weird little thing that I noticed almost everybody at the dance in like the last shot when you're seeing like the the slow close-up of Buffy and Cordelia right before they announce who the homecoming queen is pretty much everybody in that crowd scene is wearing black and Buffy and Cordelia stand out because they're wearing Buffy's wearing like the corally red and Cordelia's wearing the emerald green. So they're wearing like bright contrasting to each other colors where everybody else is wearing black. And everybody else is super formal. Like even Giles, like he was wearing a black suit and like he just looked weird. I don't know, everybody was very formal. Like this is a homecoming dance. I mean, maybe homecoming dances are fancier in other places but at my school the homecoming dance was like not even important really it was just anyway whatever so that's the end of the episode <clears throat> i don't know how much else i have to say about it um i think this is an enjoyable episode basically this episode was just all about you know, Buffy's occasional need to be a regular girl. Um, and it, you know, it sets up a lot of stuff and continues plot lines that are going to be, you know, taken forward. Um, just to sort of give you guys a little preview of like pretty much the rest of the year. Let's just go ahead and talk about the rest of the year of Buffy episodes. Just just to kind of give you guys a little update. So I'll do all my like, I'll do all my like, you know, podcast specific outro shit. Then I'll give you the ratings of the episode and then we'll be done for tonight. Um, so tonight we did Homecoming. We have a Buffy episode to talk about every single Saturday in November, which is pretty fun. Um, we normally just don't get that much Buffy, so that's nice. Next week, we get to talk about Band Candy, which if you guys know anything about that episode, you know that it is super fun. It is one of my top 10 episodes of all time. We get to see Ethan Rain again. It's basically like um, all the adults in town, they eat the candy that the band is selling to, as a fundraiser, and it's laced with something that makes them all act like teenagers again. So it's a lot of fun. We get a lot of just awesomeness from Giles and Joyce and Snyder and just ridiculousness. It is a gay romp of an episode and I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys next week. Two weeks from today, Revelations. That's sort of a heavier episode because that's when, um, oh no, it's not. Wait a second. Wait a second. 
I was wrong earlier when I said that that's the episode that we that everybody finds out about Willow and Xander. That that happens the week after that. Fuck, we have to deal with a whole month of this Willow and Xander bullshit. There might not be any evidence of it in the next episode, but we definitely have to deal with it. God damn it. Okay. All right. Two days after Thanksgiving is the last time we have to deal with Buffy and Xander, or Willow and Xander and their stupid bullshit. Okay. So next week, Man to Candy. Two weeks from today, um, Revelations. That's the one where everybody finds out that Buffy has been harboring Angel. Um, beyond that, I don't remember a whole lot about that episode. Um, so we will, we will talk about that when we get there. Um, and then three weeks from today, Lover's Walk. So that is a bittersweet episode because we get Spike back. He comes back after like Drusilla has broken up with him and it's, you know, a fun Spike episode, uh, it's, I mean, it's not really fun because this is when um, Oz and Cordelia find out about Willow and Xander because they are, Spike has like trapped them somewhere and so they're, they feel like they're in a life or death situation. So they're like making out and Oz and Cordelia walk in on them and Cordelia gets injured and it's, it's a whole thing. So Lover's Walk, bittersweet episode, because we do get Spike, but we also get a lot of drama and turmoil. Um, this this is kind of the turning point, I feel, of the season. Like, we've, I mean, we've had some darkness at the beginning of the season. I mean, Buffy's definitely dealing with a lot with the whole Angel situation and going back to school and all that shit that we've talked about and having run away. Like, you know, but really next week with band candy is the last moment of whimsy for a while is the last moment of brevity. So we really need to soak in all of the joy that we're going to feel when we watch next week's episode, because it's going to get kind of dark after that. Um, so lovers walk, then we have a week off and then we come back December 8th with the wish so that's a pretty good episode. That is the one where Cordelia, um, that's one of the one where we meet Anya. So it's, you know, it's kind of cool to think that Anya shows up this early. I mean, we're only in season three. So Anya shows up on December 8th and she grants a wish to, um, Cordelia just basically says to her, um, and this is where we find out about vengeance demons in general. Cordelia says to her, I wish Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And then we get an alternate reality world where Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And it's, it's a really dark world, but it's an interesting episode to talk about. And then the last episode we're going to get to talk about this year is on December 15th. And oh, that episode, I don't really like it. It's, it's the one where it is established that Angel, I mean, basically the point of the episode is that we're establishing that Angel needs to be here, that it was so, sort of the powers that be that decided to bring him back. So it's kind of revealed why he's back because he needs to make amends. The episode is called Amends. Um, and we'll get into 
that episode. Buffy has terrible bangs in that episode. <laughs> and and that is just the tip of the iceberg of how terrible that episode is. I mean, it's just, ugh. It's like the Buffy Christmas episode. I don't think it, there's any other episode that has a Christmas flavor to it, even though it happens 10 days before Christmas. Um, so yeah, that's the last one from this year. And then we're gonna, when do we get to come back? We have to wait almost a month before we get to come back in next year, 12th of January. So, but hey, let's just look ahead to this month. This month we get to have four whole episodes in a row starting with this week. So homecoming, let's get into, okay, uh, if you'd like to contact me, mixtressradio at gmail, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S, radio spelled the normal way, at gmail. You can send me letters that way. You can send me messages on the Instagram page, which is under mixtressbuffy. And also follow me on Instagram because I always post when I have a new episode up. And um, if you'd like to give me a one-time donation because you like the things that I do here, you can do that. PayPal.me slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. If you'd like to become a patron, um, any monthly contribution will get you access to extra podcast episodes. Theoretically, if you're listening in real time in November of 2018, I actually don't have any extra episodes of the podcast up, but there will eventually be bonus episodes once I gain a few more patrons. Um, and once I figure out how to do it, which I still haven't done, <laughs> um, so that's my bad. Maybe I'll take that time in, you know, between December 15th and January 12th, where there's no podcast episode um, to record for you guys. Maybe I will take that time to record some, some bonus episodes and figure that whole shit out. But anyway, if you want to become a patron, you will eventually get access to bonus episodes. If you are a patron at any level, like you could be a dollar, it could be $5, it could be any amount that you want. Um, and the way to do that is patreon.com slash mixtressray. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, mixtressray, again, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. So that's patreon.com slash mixtressray. So now that I got all that business sheet out of the way, let's do our ratings for this episode, Homecoming. My object, like I said before, is Willow's Stuffed Snake. The outfit, as I said before, is Cordelia's emerald satin dress. She looks damn good in it. It's long. It's got a little slit on the side. It's got, I don't know what you call the particular neckline that it has, but it's this sort of traditional, maybe it's not scalloped unless this, it's, it's a big scallop because the scallops are only over the poops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, I don't know what you call that neckline, but it's a really nice flattering neckline on Cordelia. Um, and she's wearing matching satin shoes. Like people, do people still do that with like formal dance attire where they have shoes that are the exact same color as their dress? It's like a bridesmaid thing or something. I don't know. I, I think that's tacky. I don't know why. Like, but me personally, I just, you know, use big black boots with every formal dress I've ever worn. I don't know. <laughs> I never wear formal dresses anyway, but, um, she looks really good except for the matching shoes. Cause I'm just not into matching shoes. 
Um, so that's the outfit of the episode. Most valuable player of the episode. Cordelia, as I said before. Um, she's great in a lot of ways. I really wish um, in this... Because this episode, you really see Buffy and Cordelia learning to fight together. You see them sort of working through some differences together. You've seen them relate before, um, but it doesn't happen often and it's not long lasting. Like, we'll go right back to Buffy being sort of dismissive of Cordelia as a human being. Like, next episode, I'm sure. Like, she just sort of is dismissive of Cordelia. And I don't like that because I think there's a real potential for collaboration and friendship between the two of them and I wish we had seen more of that um I don't think that particularly lasts but that's a really good I don't know it's good in this episode but it doesn't have a payoff like Buffy is like only allowed to actually be close girlfriends with Willow like everybody else she competes against you know and it's just it sucks it sucks that a a quote-unquote feminist tv show has you know Buffy only being really friends with one other chick and it's a chick that's not at all a quote-unquote threat to her you know like Cordelia is much closer to her social equal and Faith is closer to her you know her physical equal but it's like she competes with them too much to actually be friends with them you know she thinks that Cordelia is vapid but she's really not um, anyway, 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 all of that aside, my five by five ratings for this episode, I like to rate between a scale of zero and five on the enjoyability of the episode and multiply it by a rating of zero and five for the portrayal of the message. Because the whole thing with Buffy is high school slash adolescence as a metaphor or, you know, mm, you know, they're metaphors. <laughs> I don't know the words that I'm trying to say. But, I mean, every episode is an allegory. You know, like, a monster is actually a stand-in for, like, Mr. Cramps or something, you know. Anyway, so, enjoyability of the episode. I had to take off some points because of the whole stupid Xander and Willow thing. But overall, this episode is pretty enjoyable. I like it. I think there should be, there should have been more Giles and more Faith. But overall, I think it's a good episode. I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. As far as portraying the message, the only message I can see in this episode is just the recurring theme of Buffy wanting to be a normal girl. Um, so I think they expressed that decently. <laughs> So I gave it a four. So overall, multiplying 3.5 by four, this episode overall score is 14. So thanks for listening tonight, guys. I will see you next week where we get to talk about band candy. Oh my God, it's going to be so fun. Okay, see you then. Bye.